Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I want to dive into our text today, and we're going to have a shorter video today, but we're going to be looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says this, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you recall, we've been talking about um, how, how they misunderstood the day of the Lord in Thessalonica. And then the Apostle Paul comes back at them and really encourages them to um, uh, kind of fixes their theology in a sense. And then here now he moves into this, this kind of reminder to them that, that this doesn't mean because they made a mistake, this doesn't mean that they, they are uh, lost, that they were never saved, or that the gospel is not valid. And so this section is about encouraging the discouraged. And Paul does this, and his other authors do this in two ways. First, by reminding people of their standing with God. And second, by refocusing their minds on the hope found in the promises of God for the future. So first, Paul and his co-authors reminded the believers in Thessalonica of their standing with God. And that's in verse 13. It says, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Now, this, this, this first word, but, is, is great to notice, that Paul and his companions are trying to show us that even though the people in this church had been confused about the day of the Lord, that that's not the same as those who have rejected the gospel and thus are destined for destruction. Uh, remember what it said in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, For this reason God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So this, this, this word but in verse 13 does not mark a, a, a change in topic, but here we see that this, this but is showing that the authors don't view their audience, the people they're writing to, the believers in Thessalonica, as being those who took pleasure in wickedness. They're a different group of people, and the authors want to make it clear that they are not seen as having the same fate as those who would not believe the truth. So to make sure that the Thessalonian believers understood this, the authors here, while, while trying to remind the people of the truth of their standing with God, they do three specific things. They remind them that they are a blessing, they remind them that they are loved, and they remind them that they are chosen. Now, <clears throat> oftentimes, we're going to have conversations with people where we are going to need, at some point in time, to correct bad theology, whether it's with a younger person or with a child or, or just with someone who's, who's made a mistake or misunderstood something. And so <clears throat> it's going to be important for us to be able to correct their theology, but yet encourage their faith. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. So he begins with first saying that they are a blessing. He says, we ought always to thank God for you. Now, the main focus that Paul and his fellow missionaries are trying to communicate is that these imperfect believers in Thessalonica were a blessing to them. <clears throat> they are a reason for their giving thanksgiving to God. They brought about in the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Silvanus a desire to praise God. We have such a tendency to focus on the negative. While trying to encourage someone who needs to grow up in their faith, we need to also be willing to remind them that they are a blessing to us. 
that them being in the faith is a blessing to us and that we need to be careful with one another and allow them to grow, allow them time to grow spiritually. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this is a very, very important thing. And so we need to remember to remind people that their salvation is sufficient cause for rejoicing. Uh, the fact that they are saved brings joy to our hearts. The fact that they're even wrestling with theology should bring joy to our heart. And here we see Paul and the others reminding the believers that they themselves were reasons for praising the Lord. They are a blessing. That's the first way they try to encourage them um, and remind them of their standing with the Lord. Second, they are loved. He says, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. Now here we see two distinct statements of love. First, Paul and his other authors call them brothers and sisters, meaning they are called family members in the Lord. Although fallen, although and, and having made mistakes in theology and thus practice, they were nonetheless siblings in Christ. Paul understood how the church was, was to communicate with itself as a family under God in love. So often we have a tendency to talk down to people who, who need to be corrected in theology. We need to uh, remind them that we are brothers and sisters in the faith. Just because we may know something or they may know something that we don't know, we're siblings in Christ. As it says in Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love. We should handle our conflicts in love. We should handle our our, our corrections in love. The second statement of love is seen in the phrase, by the Lord. Here the focus is on the Lord, uh, the, the love of God, I should say, for them. This is written in the, in the present tense, which implies a, 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 a settled, perfect condition. This was a present, constant reality, something that wouldn't change. They might have been depressed regarding their misunderstandings of the day of the Lord, but Paul wants to remind them that God's grace reaches beyond our failures and our misunderstandings. Not only did these believers need to remember that they were a blessing, but they also needed to be reminded that they were loved by God and that they were loved by the apostle and his co-workers. And continuing on to our, our third reminder here, Paul wanted to remind the, the believers in Thessalonica that they were chosen. And chosen for something specific. He says, because God chose you. Now, Paul here is reminding the believers that God, the ultimate creator of the universe, has chosen them. It was God who saved them. It was God who loved them before they were there, there was anything worthy of loving. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for them. God loved them. Before the foundation of the world, God chose them, according to Ephesians 1. There's this, this beautiful reminder, this beautiful individual picture of God's choosing them and choosing them for something special. And that's not to make us, to prop us up, but it's also not to make us shrink back either. In other words, we're supposed to understand that we're chosen by grace alone. We're saved by grace alone. So if that's the case, then none of us have any ability to boast and brag and, and put others down and prop ourselves up. But at the same time, the fact that God chose to express his grace in us should give us confidence in his love, should give us confidence in our future, in our value, in our, uh, our security. 
And notice that they're chosen for something specific. He says, God, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved. Not only had these believers been chosen, but they weren't just chosen for something generic. They were chosen by God for salvation. And then he emphasizes through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, sanctification is the process by which God, through the Holy Spirit, makes us like Christ. It is a process that God starts in us when we are saved or justified and continues until heaven. This is the same point that Paul makes in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will carry it out into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That, that even though he justified us, we have a just standing before us and God. There's no condemnation before us. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. God is going to transform us and make us more like his son. And that's, so there's a difference between justification, which is our standing before God, and sanctification, which is our actual lives, our actual existence. Now, sanctification, again, is a work of God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. God sanctifies us through the Holy Spirit. And that does not mean, as so many like to jump off the bandwagon here, that does not mean that we, that, that we must not follow his lead, that we are not responsible to be obedient to him. It's making the point that we are enabled by the power of the Spirit in us to do this. Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Again, we must follow, but we do so by the power of the Spirit. The point is, is that no one is held back from growth in grace. And whenever we grow, we must praise the Lord, for he gets all the glory, while not forgetting that we are responsible, which is stressed by the last phrase and through the belief in the truth. Now the truth here is the, is, is the, the gospel message proclaimed by the apostles and Paul and his co-workers. And belief, it means not just affirming some mental reality. I can affirm that Jesus is Lord or affirm that Jesus is the Messiah or affirm that there is a God and there is a Satan and affirm that there is a heaven and a hell and there is a right and a wrong. But that doesn't help the demons because they affirm all of that. To believe in the truth means to place yourself on it, means to rest yourself on it, means to commit yourself fully to it. Um, and so what Paul is saying is that God had, had chosen them to believe in the truth. That God had chosen them to be sanctified by the Spirit. And the Spirit's work is through the truth, through the Word. So we see right away here, Paul and his fellow missionaries encouraging the believers in Thessalonica by reminding the people of their standing with God, by reminding them that they are a blessing, that they are loved, and that they are chosen for salvation. This is how we should encourage others in the faith, even when we need to correct them in their theology. That just because they made a mistake or just because they didn't understand something or they misunderstood something or they twisted something, that, that doesn't mean they're not loved by God and by us. It doesn't mean that they are not a blessing to us. It does not mean that they are not chosen for salvation. We need to encourage people, even as we correct them in love. Second, Paul and his co-authors wanted to refocus their minds on the hope found in the promises of God. Look at verse 14. It says, He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
says he called you to this through our gospel. Now, there are many who get caught up in the wording here and they miss something important. Not too long ago, my mother-in-law was visiting and she brought this up, asking me, why is the gospel described as being our gospel? As in Paul and the other apostles, a gospel. This bothered her because she, she kind of emphasizes it's, it's God's message. It's God's gospel. But before we come to that, let's look at what comes right before it. Notice that the verse says that he called you. Now the he here is obviously God himself. The God who chose them to be saved is the same God who made sure that the message of the gospel reached them by means of the apostles' proclamation of the gospel. God can choose that we get saved, but he uses means to accomplish that. Faith is one of the means by which God accomplishes it. The gospel message being heard is one of the means by which God accomplishes his purpose. God is the one who gave Paul, uh, or I should say, uh, God, God is the one who is, who is kind of sending this message. He is the one who called you through the gospel. He is the one who made the gospel's power come alive in you. Paul knows that there are many that he's preached the gospel to who have not been born again. It's not his gospel proclamation that makes one saved. It's the work of the Spirit using the gospel proclamation that makes them saved. God is the one who gave Paul the night vision to preach the gospel in Macedonia in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. And when he and his associates arrived in the city, the message the Thessalonians heard and received was the very message of God. So when we come to, to being called through our gospel, we need not fear, for although the message was proclaimed by the apostles, it originated in God. Consider how the same basic idea is addressed in um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction." Paul's saying, listen, yes, I proclaim the gospel message, but if it wasn't for the power of the Spirit to penetrate into your heart and to make you alive uh, through the hearing of the gospel message and through the, the uh, kind of the, the gifting of faith, then it wouldn't have done anything. It's the power of God that saves you. So Paul's not saying this is our message like we thought of it, but he's, he's Paul's uh, emphasizing, I guess, that this is the message that he and the other apostles proclaim. Again, they, this church in particular had dealt with a false message that they had heard from someone claiming to be the Apostle Paul, and he's going back to saying, this is the message that I proclaim, and you know it. I am associated with this message clearly. He's trying to stress that his message, this message of the gospel, is unique to the apostles, and it's unique in that it comes with power power to save. And then he continues and he says, he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here we see Paul, how Paul's thought in this verse leaps from contemplation of the Thessalonians' past conversion in the beginning part of verse 14 directly to their future glorification at the end of verse 14. You see, for those who are truly saved, this should lead to living as people of God in the present. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, this, is, this is what we mean when we talk about um, 
not not only just offering up our bodies, but we offer them up willingly in anticipation of the future, in anticipation of the future coming. We're, we're storing up treasures in heaven rather than on earth because we know that this is going to be better. As Paul says, this far outweighs the trials that I'm going through now. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to remind them not only of their, their firm commitment in salvation by God's choice and God's design, and God's not going to let them fall out of his hand, no one's going to snatch them out of his hand, but also that God's going to be faithful to lead them to the end, that they will share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to encourage them by getting them to focus their attention, not on their present trials, but on the future glory with God which is something that no matter what it is, what, whatever it may be, far outweighs anything we can face here. Friends, we need to be encouragers like this. Even when we have to challenge someone in their theology, even when we have to take them back to the Word and instruct them in the Gospel and how maybe something that they're teaching or something that they're living doesn't fall in line with what Scripture says, we still need to encourage them and say, listen, we're still rejoicing in that you're saved. We're still rejoicing in that you're loved by God, you're called by God, and you're, 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 you're being led to something new, and, and, and your misunderstanding is not something that removes you from that blessing. We need to be people who correct, who correct in love, who correct in a way that reminds people that we're not better than them, uh, but we are um, spiritually responsible for them. And in love, we are challenging them with the Word of God because we know that Following in obedience to God is always better than anything else. Next week, we're going to dive into the next verse. I hope I see you then.